so when we we're, we started this series a few weeks ago entitled Genuine Faith, and basically uh, this, this sermon series is kind of a, a kickoff from the end of John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, uh, what we saw was we saw the faithfulness of uh, a royal official uh, who believed in Jesus, believed in his power, believed in who he was, and that faith, and uh, through that faith, Jesus saved his son. And so we started walking through different Old Testament stories of looking at what genuine faith looks like because we saw that story and we looked at the faith that this man had. And we also want to see how does that faith transpire in the rest of Scripture? What does it look like to have genuine faith in every walk of life? And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at Abraham and Isaac, and we looked at how both Abraham and Isaac had faith and how God was faithful in their life. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. And so um, Joseph's story is in 37 through 50. Obviously, we're not going to read every verse this morning because we would be here for quite a while. And I know some of y'all got an extra hour of sleep, but uh, don't worry, I'm not going to keep you for an extra hour because of that. Uh, But Joseph's life was marked by faithfulness. When you look at different stories uh, in Scripture, you often find that that Scripture highlights both maybe the things they didn't do quite right and the things that they did right, while showing that God is faithful in their life no matter what happens to them. Like, for example, when we see David, David's life was marked by great seasons of obedience, but then there were also times where David messed up. David wasn't perfect, but yet God was still faithful in his life, and he remained faithful to God. And so when we look at Joseph, Joseph is an interesting character because he takes up a third of Genesis, but with Joseph's life, we see this this absolute level of faithfulness and obedience in every step of Joseph's life, no matter what tragedy he walks through. It's incredible to see his faithfulness. And my hope for us this morning is that we would learn to see how we can remain faithful in seasons of tragedy and betrayal. And so let me pray as we walk through the scripture this morning. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we're grateful for your mercies. God, we're grateful for your love. Father, we pray this morning as we study your word and God, as we seek to understand what it means to have genuine faith in our lives. God, I pray that you would help us as we study Joseph. Father, see how can we apply those truths into our own lives. God, I pray that we would recognize, Father, the times that, where we can re, 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 really relate to Joseph and his struggles. God, maybe we think about seasons of darkness we've walked through in our own life. And God, I pray that you would help us to see how your goodness and faithfulness sees us through all of those things. God, and how you use even the darkest seasons in our lives for your good and your glory. And God, I pray as we walk through this text, and God, walk through many highlights, Father, that you would be glorified, and God, that your word would edify our hearts. So God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. It's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start, uh, the, the way we're going to do this this morning is just for the sake of time, 
uh, we are going to be very much doing a very big flyby over Joseph's life. So what we're going to do is we're going to fly over. I'm going to go through some details and summarize things, and then we're going to stop at certain specific points as we study this text. And so uh, this is a large text, but what, what I would encourage you to do is after today, if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph and you want to read more about what's going on in this, that you would get your Bibles and you would actually look at Genesis 37 through 50 because his story is absolutely incredible. But let's start at the very beginning. Genesis 37, 12 through 36. Before this begins, Israel, or as we know him also as Jacob, had 12 sons, but he loved Joseph the most. Joseph and his brother Benjamin's mother was Rachel. And if you are familiar with his story, uh, you know that uh, that Jacob married uh, Rachel and Leah, but he loved Rachel more. And so uh, Leah had multiple kids with him, but then Rachel had difficulty having children. And later on, she ended up having Joseph and Benjamin. And so there was this, this, this favoritism with this big family that he has towards uh, the children with his wife, Rachel. And so his father makes Joseph a robe of many colors. And if you've seen the cartoon or seen the drawings, you know it's, it's, a, it's a very colorful robe. It's supposed to represent how, you know, how much he is loved and how much he is cared for and, and all these other things. And uh, his brothers were incredibly jealous of him. They were, they were jealous of his brother that, that he got so much love and that he was so favored by their father. And then Joseph has this dream and his brothers, in a way, through illustration, were bowing to him. And he tells his brothers this, this dream, and his brothers become even more jealous of him. They're like, okay, man, come on. Like, you're already the favor. This is, this is getting out of hand. But then Joseph has another dream that was similar, and this time his father rebuked him for it, and this further increased his brother's distaste for him. And so there's these moments of jealousy that his brothers have over Joseph, over these dreams that he has and over this coat of many colors and over his father's favoritism. And then we get into verse 12. Verse 12 says this. Now his brother went to pasture their father's flock near Shem. And Israel said to Joseph, are, you, are, you, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shem? Come, I will send, them, send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to them, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers. He said, Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. And so Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They came to him from afar, and before he came to him, they conspired against him to kill him. And he said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let's not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. After looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and mirth on their way to carry it down to Egypt. 
Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit, is it, is it, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let, our hand, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by. They drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit, they saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then he took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And then they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. But Jacob tore his garments, put a sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Yeah, so this is how the story begins. <laughs> Joseph has these dreams. His brothers get incredibly jealous for him. They, they figure they're going to kill him, but then they're like, no, let's not kill him. And then they sell him off into slavery. So Joseph, being betrayed by his brothers and his father, thinks he's dead. Joseph's story starts tragically. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's, 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 it's incredibly depressing. But unfortunately, the, the, the things that Joseph goes through doesn't end there. So here's what happens in between. Joseph was a slave to Egypt to Potiphar, and Potiphar enjoyed Joseph's work, and he recognized the Lord was with him. And that's something that you're going to see a lot as you read this text, is that often people are going to recognize that the Lord is with Joseph. And he gave Joseph control over everything he had. And then Potiphar's wife made a move on Joseph, and Joseph, being a man of integrity, and the Lord refused her. So what does Potiphar's wife do? Potiphar's wife then framed Joseph for trying to sleep with her, and then Joseph was thrown into prison. And then while in prison, Joseph builds up this good reputation similar to his work with Potiphar. The person who's over the prison recognizes that the Lord was with Joseph. And so in both of these circumstances, both while he's enslaved and both while he's in prison, both recognize that the Lord is with Joseph, and then they entrust him with many things. And so Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker are then thrown into prison. And they have these dreams they can't make sense of. And then Joseph interprets their dreams. Joseph had asked that the cupbearer not forget him when he's brought back into service with Pharaoh. But unfortunately, he does. So here's kind of what happens. He, gives, he, he interprets these two dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. The baker, uh, the, his dream interprets for him to die. The cupbearer, his dream interprets for him to be uh, put back into his old position. And so he tells this cupbearer, hey, I'm not supposed to be here. I've done nothing wrong. I've been taken from my father's house. Please plead my case to Pharaoh. But then what happens? Joseph is not only enslaved. Joseph's not only left in prison, but the guy that he helped out who had a way out for him forgot about him when he was instated back into his old position. But then what happens is later on, Pharaoh has this dream that no one can make sense of. And then the cupbearer remembers Joseph and tells Pharaoh about him. 
And then Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream to tell that there will be seven years of good harvest and seven years of famine. He counsels him that he should store up provisions while he can to prepare for what's to come. And because of Joseph's service, Pharaoh appoints Joseph as second in command. And when we look at Genesis 41, 39 through 41, it says this. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne, I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Now, we're going to stop here for a second because I know that that was a lot of information. But why did we share all that? Why did we walk through a story so quickly? Because there's a lot that we can learn from Joseph's story so far about genuine faith. And so what does that look like? What, is, what does genuine faith look like in this situation? The first thing that we can learn about genuine faith is genuine faith endures. Genuine faith endures. Joseph's life was marked with tragedy and betrayal, right? We just walked through that story, and at what point of the story was Joseph not wronged by somebody at some point? His brothers, his, the Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, uh, the cupbearer in prison. I mean, in every step that Joseph walks through, he is wronged or betrayed by somebody. His brothers hated him and sold him off. He was framed for a crime he didn't commit, and he ended up in prison and forgotten about. Like, Joseph's life in, in our sense and in our view, this is terrible. Like he, Joseph didn't do anything or sin against anybody that, that, that resulted in him deserving this. He did, these, his sins didn't justify these punishments, at least in our, in our eyes. But however, in the face of these tragedies and storms, God was still faithful and Joseph remained faithful. In every one of these, these moments of betrayal, or moments of devastation, Joseph remained faithful. And if you read these chapters in scriptures, there's this phrase that comes up often. We talked about that a little bit earlier, is that they recognized that the Lord was with him. They saw that something was different about Joseph. Potiphar, uh, the leader of the prison, every, Pharaoh, everyone who looked at Joseph and looked at what he was doing and looked at his life recognized there was something unique about Joseph. There was something unique about his character and his integrity because he was someone who knew and walked with the Lord. So throughout every tragedy and hard season, he never lost faith. He never wavered to temptation or abandoned God. He was faithful to walking with the Lord wherever he ended up. And you know, with us, church, when we face dark seasons, when we face times that are incredibly difficult or when people betray us or when we are wronged by others, one thing we have to remember is that through faith, we are to endure every season that we walk through. And so we talked about that, for example, when we looked at James and James chapter two, we, when we talked about how genuine faith is a faith that is put out in action. Well, when we, we look at faith in this sphere here, what we see is we see somebody who suffered through the sins of other people and suffered through brokenness and suffered through darkness but he never lost faith. Genuine faith endures every tragedy, every betrayal, every hard season. In church, we are to endure too. And the great thing is we don't have to endure alone. When you belong to the Lord, when you are walking with him, you truly are walking with him and he with you. Meaning that whenever you go through these seasons of 
darkness or betrayal or tragedy, that God is still with you every step of the way. Even if he feels distant, even if he feels silent, he has not abandoned you. The second thing we can learn from from his story so far is that genuine faith produces godly character. We also recognize, and as we mentioned earlier, Joseph's character remained intact. I mean, think about that. He got thrown in, he got, he got sold into slavery at 17. Imagine that for a moment. Imagine you back at 17 years old. If your family members were to sell you off into slavery, how would you respond to that? Probably not pretty well. You would probably change a lot of who you are to try to adopt to the circumstances that you were put in. But Joseph didn't. Joseph remained the man that he was at 17 and continued to grow in his faithfulness to God. He didn't change his approach to the things just because the circumstances were bad. He made the best of what God had for him in every single season. And we see this later on, but that Joseph recognized and trusted that God had him where he was for a reason. That there was a reason why Joseph was enslaved. There was a reason why Joseph was in prison. God had a purpose and design for allowing him to walk through what he was walking through. And Joseph's faith was clearly genuine. And God shaped Joseph in every difficult circumstance he was in. If you look at James 1, 1 through 4, for example, James tells us that we are to have joy when we endure trials because of the maturity and the steadfastness that it produces in us. God uses hard seasons to transform us and to mold us into the image of his son. For example, if you've ever uh, looked at someone ever forging a weapon or uh, anything on TV where they take this piece of metal and they heat it up and they beat on it and they sharpen it and it makes this tool or it makes this weapon, it has to go through a lot of fire. And it has to be molded and shaped and things cut off of it and, and sharpened. And it's, it's, a, it's a pretty gruesome process when you really think about it. But what comes out from the other side is something usable and something unique. And so for us as Christians... When our faith is genuine, God uses seasons of our life to transform us into the image of His Son. God doesn't waste difficult seasons that we walk through. Rather, He uses those to help us grow closer to Him. And when we look at Joseph's life, part of me has to feel like when Joseph is is walking through enslavement and being in prison and being betrayed, that God is using those moments to transform Joseph into who He's meant to be. And God does exactly that. Let's go back to the story. So Genesis 42, Joseph is reunited with his brothers, but they don't recognize Joseph. They go to buy, to buy grain and provisions, but they don't recognize him. And then, and then here's kind of where I'm going to go a little bit faster through this, because a lot of things happen. There's a lot of back and forth between Joseph and his brothers. For example, Joseph pretends to accuse them of being spies, and they force him to bring Benjamin, which is his other brother, uh, Rachel's other son with them. And so they came and then he also kept one of his brothers essentially as a prisoner hostage until they brought Benjamin back. He wanted all of his brothers there. And then when they returned through a series of conversations and pleadings for help, Joseph's dream that he has at the very beginning of his brothers bowing to him then ends up coming true. His dream was fulfilled. And Joseph sees this change that happens in his brothers afterwards in, in 44, for example, when it, talks of, when it talks about how there's this pleading for the life of their brother, and this is a completely different reaction to what they had to when Joseph was, 
was sold off into slavery. And then in verse 45 through 115, it says this, and I love this verse. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And so he, he makes himself known to his brothers. He shares with them, I am Joseph, and, and finally reveals to him who he is and his identity, and he just breaks down. I mean, when you look at these verses, or the chapters beforehand, you see Joseph struggle with this. Struggling, seeing his brothers after so long, seeing his family members that, have, that, that sold him off into slavery, that wanted to originally kill him, and he has compassion for them. He's crying. He's, he's embracing them with hugs. He was Pharaoh's second command. He could have easily had them thrown in prison or killed for what they did. But what does he do? He hugs them. He shows compassion for them. Joseph never lost his faithful heart in all of this. And so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of his house, ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go out to my father and say to him, thus your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you so that there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see. It is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father all of my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry, bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And then he kissed all of his brothers, wept upon them. And after his brothers talked with him. Can you just imagine this reunion? Like imagine being separated from your family for this long, family who has betrayed you, family who has harmed you, family who, who originally wanted to see you dead, family who sold you off for 20 shekels of, of silver. I just, and, and your first reaction is just to hug them, have compassion for them. And now Joseph is taking care of them. He's providing them all these provisions that they would be cared for in this famine and that they would not suffer through what's to come, but rather they'd be greatly taken care of. And so after this, Joseph's brothers were sent away and given riches to prove their case for their father. And Israel believed that his son was still alive. So what can we learn from this part of the story in Joseph's life? Which is an incredible part of the story. And, and this, is, this is the one that I think a lot of people, when they think about Joseph's story, they're very familiar with this part, and that is that genuine faith forgives. Genuine faith forgives. Joseph forgave his brothers. Can you imagine how hard that must have been? 
right in a room like this, surely there have been people that we've been wronged by in our lives at some point, and probably some of them family members. And imagine how hard it was for you to forgive a family member who's wronged you. Maybe that's something you're still struggling with. Maybe you're still struggling with unforgiveness of a family member. I can promise you it's probably not as bad as Joseph's situation. Maybe in some circumstances it can be, sure. But I think generally, can you imagine how hard it must have been for Joseph's, for Joseph to forgive his brothers? I can't. I can't imagine being wronged in such a deep way and my first reaction being compassion and love. So why is it that genuine faith is marked with forgiveness? Why would I say that? Right? Because we know in the story Joseph forgives his brothers. But why is it that if we're going to say someone's faith is genuine, why would we say that genuine faith is forgiveness? That someone who has genuine faith forgives others? Why say that? Well, the whole point of this series, the whole point of studying genuine faith is for us to see what real authentic faith looks like. Not faith that's spoken with the mouth or faith that anyone could say they have, but true faith that can be tested. True faith that can be shown that it is the real deal. And we witness when faith is genuine by the way we live out the truths of God's word. And as Christians, our lives should be marked with forgiveness. God's word tells us we are to forgive others. So when we look at the New Testament, for example, Jesus gives this parable of the unforgiving servant. And in this, he tells us that when Peter asks, well, how often should we forgive our brother who sins against us? Jesus says, well, you should forgive them 70 times seven. And I'm asking you, don't do the math this morning, right? Yeah, like no one in this room should have a tally of how many times they've forgiven somebody and go, well, Jesus said 70 times seven, which is 490. And so, you know, once you get to 491, sorry, I can't forgive you after that. That's, that's not what he's saying. Well, he's giving such an astronomical number to Peter because he's trying to be over-exaggerate saying that you should always forgive them, that there shouldn't be a limit or there shouldn't be a, 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 a ceiling, right? It's, it's you forgive those who, who wrong against you. And then he, he goes back to this parable, the unforgiving servant, and I'm going to share kind of the short story of that if you're not familiar with it. The parable of the unforgiving servant is that there was a servant that owed his master an absorbent amount of money, money he could never pay back realistically with what he owed. But then the master forgave this servant's debt completely clean slate. No uh, attachments, no uh, having to do certain things to get it. Forgave it, clean slate, it was done. But then this unforgiving servant went and found someone who owed him not very much money and threatened him and threw him in prison. And then the master became angry with him saying, I forgave you for this exorbitant amount of debt. Why could you not forgive him who owed you much less? And so that story, what is, it's teaching us is that when it comes to forgiveness, we have to remember, guys, Jesus has forgiven us for more than we could ever forgive others. The sin and the debt that we owe God could never be paid on our own. We are separated by God with sin because of Adam and Eve in the garden when they introduced sin into the world. We as human beings have been broken ever since. And we try to pursue other things to heal that brokenness in us. But the reality is we're sinful. We are broken and we need help. And the Bible teaches us the wages of sin is death. 
that we have to pay that debt and there's nothing that we can do to earn it ourselves. If you've ever broken one of the Ten Commandments, if you've ever lied, cheated, stealed, had anger or hatred for someone in your heart, uh, lusted or coveted after something, then you've sinned. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what does God do? God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life we could not live. And the Bible teaches that if you confess through your mouth that he is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. And your debt is paid once and for all forever. And you get to be with God forever in heaven, to be reconciled to our Savior. And there's nothing that we do on our own that can earn that. And so, you know, some people ask, well, you know, how much, I've got all this sin in my life, or I've struggled with this, or I've struggled with that. I can't ever become a Christian. Well, we, we are told that, that we are not to fix ourselves as we come to Jesus, that he fixes us from the inside out. We are called to submit and ask for the forgiveness of our sins, and then God takes care of the rest. And so, because of that, we are to forgive others because Jesus first forgave us. And the amount of debt that we owed God is greater than any wrong anyone has ever done to us. So forgiveness should be in our DNA as Christians. And we should be regularly forgiving others and being quick to forgive, not waiting for an apology, not waiting for them to make something right, but genuinely forgiving them. Now, Joseph genuinely forgave his brothers, but I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Forgiveness does not always mean immediate reconciliation or restoration of a relationship, right? So for example, if you've got somebody in your life who's wronged you or has caused great harm to you, just because you forgive them does not mean that immediately they are reinstated back into their old uh, degree of relationship in your life, right? Reconciliation and, and restoration, that takes time. But it starts with forgiveness. And there may be a situation where where they cannot be reinstated in the original role they were in in your life. And that's okay. But that doesn't mean that you cannot forgive them. Forgiveness is key to reconciliation and restoration. And forgiveness needs to be first. And it needs to be genuine. And by God's grace, we don't have to forgive people alone or on our own. When the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, that's something that God helps us with. And helps us to understand what true forgiveness is. Right? Kind of like the, the, the servant and his master. I mean, he, he understood what true forgiveness was because of what his master did for him, but yet he still didn't understand it. But for us that belong to the Lord, when we have a relationship with him, we have to be reminded of that forgiveness that we have been given by God. And remember that when others wrong us. And I'm so thankful we don't have to do that on our own. And so what's the last thing that we can learn from Joseph's story? So um, in Genesis 50, 15 through 21, this is where we're going to end this morning in looking at the end of Joseph's story. And while you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of, of what happens in between. So Joseph's brothers go back, and then Joseph and his sons actually are, are reunited with his father, Jacob. There's a short conversation that they have. Uh, you have to remember, Jacob is very sick during this time too. So he can't see very well. He's very, very old of age. But they're reunited, and then Genesis 50, it gives us the end of Joseph's story. And so Joseph's father dies shortly after being reunited. And then verse 15 says this, When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. 
So, okay, look at that. Let's stop right there for a second. This is, Joseph's brothers are terrified, right? Their father is dead. Joseph now has no reason to not completely just, just I'm going to use the word annihilate his brothers for what they did, right? He has every power in the world to make that happen. But, and his brothers are terrified. They know his brother has great power and they're still thinking in their mind, Joseph's still mad at us. Like he said, he forgave us and he cried and he hugged us, but I, I don't know. And then what he says to hear in verse 16, or so what they say. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. So they are pleading, hey, dad said, forgive us. Please forgive us. Like, please don't harm us. But his brothers have it all wrong. Joseph did not wish harm on his brothers. Joseph was not angry with his brothers. Just because his father died didn't mean now that Joseph is looking for someone to harm or to blame. Because you have to remember, because of his brother's actions, they stole years of this relationship from Joseph. But Joseph did not hate them. Joseph was not angry with them. Look at how Joseph responds. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to him, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Wow, what a response. That is Joseph's character shining through. That is what it looks like to have genuine faithfulness. And so let's zero in on verse 20 though, because I want to focus here, here for a moment. He says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. My last point for this morning, when we're looking at genuine faith, we look at Joseph's life, is that genuine faith trusts God's sovereignty. Genuine faith trusts God's sovereignty. God being in control and over all things, God uses the things in our life for his good and his glory and his divine plan. And we don't always see all that through. We only see a little speck on the plane where God sees the entire picture. But how does this look? In verse 45, for example, Joseph explained what God was doing by allowing him to endure all that he endured. So verse 40, chapter 45, we, we briefly ran through that, but verse 4 says this, Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be dismissed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He understood that God had a purpose for why Joseph was in that situation so that God would preserve life and preserve the nation of Israel. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor our harvest. He understood there is a problem and that Joseph was put in the place he is to provide the solution. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you that sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, the Lord of all of his house, the ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph recognized that God had placed him in these circumstances for a reason. And that 
in this plan, God's people would be saved. Now, imagine for a moment with me, if you can, what would have happened if Joseph didn't end up in the situations he was in? Right? We're going to do a back to the future flashpoint, you know, going back to see what happens if Joseph goes back and stops his brothers from ever selling him off into slavery. Here's what happens. No enslavement means no opportunity for prison. Right? Realistically, Joseph probably wouldn't get thrown into prison if he wasn't put in the situations he was in. No prison means no interpretation of dreams. No interpretation of dreams means no connection to Pharaoh. No connection to Pharaoh means no helping prepare for the famine. No helping prepare for the famine means that God's people dies. Could God have used or done this another way? Could God in his, his, his power and his sovereignty have made all these, these circumstances change in a way that would allow Joseph to be where he is for a reason? Yeah, he probably could have, right? But God chose to do it in this way. And God did so. He, regardless of what his brothers were doing, God still used that to fulfill his will. Now, I want to be careful when I say that because this doesn't mean that Joseph's brother's sins were justified. It doesn't mean that God was giving them a pat on the back like, yes, thank you for selling your brother off into slavery. That's exactly what I needed to happen. No, but rather that even though this world is sinful and this world is broken and we do sinful, broken things, God still works miracles and wonderful, wondrous things in this world. That our sin, our falling short, our, our brokenness doesn't stop God from doing what he has a desire to do. Joseph's life was marked with faithfulness. His character, his walk, his obedience, and his trust of God were evidence, in his, uh, evidence of his faith. So as we close this morning, as we have our time of invitation, my question for you is, is your faith genuine? Is your faith genuine? Are you trusting in God to work in all your circumstances and trusting in his sovereignty? Do you trust and believe in a God who forgives all sins? And if you don't, I invite you to trust him this morning. Will you pray for me as we uh, have our time of invitation? God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for Joseph and his life and his faithfulness. And God, I just pray this morning, if there's anyone here, Father, that doesn't know you or has never trusted you as Savior, God, that they would, that they would pray for forgiveness. God, that they would seek to know this God that allows someone like Joseph to, to endure all that he endures. And God, still have faith. And God, still serve you obediently. And God, still remain faithful to you. Father, I pray that you would help us in our unbelief. God, help us in our unfaithfulness. God, and I pray Two, that if there's anyone in our life that we haven't forgiven God, that we are struggling to forgive, Father, that you would help us to forgive them. God, that you would help us to let go of, of burdens and to let go of grudges and to let go of this unforgiveness. And God, give those things over to you and truly forgive those who have wronged us. God, help our forgiveness to be genuine. God, help our faith to be genuine. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.